Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. In honor of Halloween, we think it's past time that we covered a story involving two of the most famous, or infamous, depending on your perspective, figures in the paranormal world. After all, the supernatural 70s and the paranoid 1980s, that was the prime era for Ed and Lorraine Warren. Now, we've mentioned them in passing before, but in the spirit of the season, a recap is in order. In brief, Ed and Lorraine Warren were made famous by their investigations into a number of high-profile cases of alleged demonic possession and poltergeist infestation. This includes the doll known as Annabelle, the Amityville House, and the real-life stories behind The Conjuring movies, plus many more events. According to the Connecticut Post, the Warrens were the United States' most famous paranormal investigators for close to half a century. Actually, they were internationally famous and were called to consult on cases all over the world. The Warrens were devout Catholics and based their approach to the paranormal on a few key concepts. They believed in the literal manifestation of evil, the power of exorcism, and the strength of Lorraine's alleged clairvoyant powers. Ed was a purported demonologist. Per the Connecticut Post, the Warrens claimed to have, quote, conducted over 100 individual paranormal investigations. The Warrens even consulted on a murder trial in 1981, where, per the Post, the defense was literally, quote, the devil made me do it. The couple supported the defendant's claim of demonic possession. The judge, however, quote, disregarded the theory and sentenced the defendant to prison. As the Hollywood Reporter has noted, the Warrens offered their services for free, but that doesn't mean that there was no financial gain involved in their work. Quote, they enjoyed immense financial success nonetheless thanks to nine books, a busy lecture schedule, and consulting on films based on their exploits. 
including the 1979 and 2005 versions of the Amityville Horror. But the Warrens were always considered controversial figures, and that's not surprising considering the whole demonology thing. The critiques of the Warrens were building in the mid-1980s, when, as the Times Tribune wrote, the Amityville story was beginning to look like a hoax, as far as the public was concerned. Also, in the mid-1980s, the Warrens became involved in the travails of the Smurl family, who lived in a little town called West Pittston, just outside Scranton, Pennsylvania, in a hundred-year-old duplex. Per the Times Tribune, the Smurls had lived a quiet life, mostly. Jack was a manager at a local chewing gum company. They were both active members of the Lions Club, and Janet volunteered at the high school. They were regular attendees at Mass. According to the Associated Press, Jack Smurl's father and mother lived in one unit of the split home, and Jack, Janet, and their four daughters in the other. But in August of 1986, the Smurls had gone from private to public citizens, all in the hopes, as they told the AP, of receiving desperately needed help. You see, they'd had a long string of unsettling experiences. According to the Times Tribune, the earliest unexplainable event that the Smurls could remember was an experience that affected both sides of the duplex. One day, Jack's parents thought they heard Jack and Janet having a terrible fight, full of profanity, but nothing of the sort was happening, at least according to the Smurls. They said they were at home preparing their children for Saturday Mass. Then came the sounds of children playing, but there were no children present. Then there were marks in the fresh paint, not smears or smudges, but handprints. Then a voice somewhere was calling their names. Their dog was seeing things in the corners. It was scary, but not like capital T terror, right? Well, then a light came crashing down in the kitchen, narrowly missing one of their daughter's heads. And that, friends, was the beginning of the real trouble. After that point, according to AP reporters, they had begun to see and hear, quote, Black shadows with distorted heads, moaning heavy sighs, pigs oinking, hoof sounds like goat's feet running on the walls, and that the toilet was flushing by itself. The AP reported that, quote, Members of the household say that they've been dragged from bed and slapped and scratched by invisible hands. The family dog was even attacked on multiple occasions. The family told reporters that doors opened and closed and that household objects disappeared and reappeared, often in, quote, a pile on the floor. The father, Jack Smurl, claimed to have been levitated off the ground by unseen forces while in prayer, and one of the Smurl daughters alleged that she'd been floated down the stairs, quite against her will. And without notice, their possessions began crashing into the walls. The duplex would grow hot and cold without any rhyme or reason, and Jack Smurl's parents, on the other side of the duplex, they claimed the horrifying experiences had been trickling over into their side of the living quarters, too. One of the couple's teen daughters explained to AP reporters, 
It's like having a family member that's bad, that nobody gets along with. You don't want it there. It was quite a story. And based on what we've read, the Smurls seemed to genuinely be afraid. They were quiet people who, according to the Times Tribune, had relocated to the duplex after a 1972 flood that ravaged West Pittston and destroyed many homes. They hadn't planned on any more drama. And yet, in August of 1986, they called a press conference to announce their situation to the world. It was held at the Smurls' home with local reporters and neighbors in attendance. And as the story unfolded, opinions seemed mixed. The AP spoke with a nearby neighbor, Bernard Ravston, who watched the press conference. He was not convinced. He told reporters, It's a lot of malarkey. They're nice people, but it seems like it's for money or publicity. Maybe he's running for mayor. That seems like an odd campaign choice to us, but okay. Another neighbor, Lenora Brinzer, was more impressed. Per the AP, Lenora believed that a demonic force had actually followed Janet from her home into Lenora's. Janet had come over to tell Lenora of the terrifying events, and right after Janet left, Lenora had her own supernatural experience. According to AP reporters, quote, she was alone in the house washing dishes in the kitchen. Suddenly, the stereo, which had been playing softly, was playing at high volume, and the front door, which had been locked, was standing open. That made Lenora a believer, and someone who felt very sorry for the Smurls. She told the AP, I give them a lot of credit. They're really strong in their faith. I think that's what kept them sane. To reporters, Janet said, It took nine months to even find someone we could ask questions of. We are a haunted family. And after that nine-month search, there were actually two people the Smurls could ask questions of. Ed and Lorraine Warren, who joined them at the press conference. They'd apparently been at the house for weeks and had been in contact with the Smurls since very early in 1986. It was only after they'd neared the end of their investigation that the press conference was held. That was the odd bit, actually. The purpose of the conference was ostensibly a call for more help and the chance to present the warrants proof, but things didn't quite shake out that way. More on that in a minute. First, the Warrens' visit. The Parsons' son wrote that when Ed Warren first visited the home in January of 1986, he was immediately greeted by dark forces. He saw the words, Get out, appear on a mirror. Ed, as you will be unsurprised to hear, did not get out. Instead, he and Lorraine explored the duplex. They did some of their usual tests, one of which was to use spoken Christian prayer in each room of the home. The idea there, as we understand it, was to anger any demons that might be lurking about. According to the Parsons' son, Ed said, Within seconds, the room turned icy cold. There was a foul stench. I would describe it as rotting flesh. 
Objects on the bureau started to move, and then in front of the bureau, gossamer thread, mucus-like, smoky-type substance, whirled and materialized on the mirror, spelling out filthy obscenities, telling me in no uncertain terms to get out of the house. Lorraine Warren told the Scrantonian Tribune that they captured strange noises and video of something, quote, bizarre and suspicious that was similar to what she'd observed in other cases, something that resembled a black substance in the shape of a human-like figure. The Warrens said they had audio tapes, too, but that none of this evidence would be shared at the press conference. This information left reporters feeling, well, confused. That confusion soon turned into irritation. According to the Times Tribune, the press conference, quote, degenerated into a shouting match because Ed Warren refused to release his evidentiary tapes. Ed said that the tapes needed to be, quote, reviewed by the Roman Catholic Church before they could be played for the public. And the reporters apparently didn't take kindly to that. They wondered why they'd been called to the house in the first place. Ed replied to one reporter who questioned him, We're giving you everything you're going to get. If you can bring up a couple of priests here to help these people, fine. But we really don't have to give you anything. For one thing, you're too obnoxious. The conference was attended, or crashed, depending on your perspective, by a particularly energetic skeptic, Richard Bush, who identified himself as a, quote, consultant of the Committee for Scientific Investigation of the Claims of the Paranormal. What she told reporters, quote, was comprised of University of Pittsburgh faculty members. Richard said the family had asked him to come and conduct an examination at the duplex. Richard told reporters, good science says, first, let's rule out possible fraud. Let's be critical. Let's be careful. Let's be unemotional. Today, there's a lot of emotion here and a lot of secrecy. I want to open things up and look at things fairly and objectively. There was one issue with that. The Warrens said that he could not come into the house. And when the Smurls were fetched, they had apparently changed their minds too. Their reasoning was that they had thought Richard himself was a professor at the university, not just a consultant to the faculty. Anyway, the Warrens said, science wasn't going to do the trick. They needed religious intervention. But if the Smurls wanted help, why were they turning down Richard? They told reporters that they welcomed objective scientists, but not skeptics who would approach with disbelief. Jack and Janet were looking for help with open minds. Unfortunately, there didn't seem to be any available, or at least none that met Jack and Janet's criteria, or perhaps the Warren's criteria. By mid-September of 1986, it seems that Jack and Janet regretted their choice to hold that press conference. According to a, quote, final press interview that they granted to the Times Tribune, they expressed that rather than bring in the qualified, objective help that they'd hoped for, they'd simply drawn criticism and derision. Now people drove by and yelled obscenities at their home. Others stopped for pictures, and they told the Times Tribune reporter that they were still being plagued by the force 
that they referred to as it. And worse, it seems that the Warrens had discovered more specifics about that presence. It was, in this case, plural. It's. The Smurls told the Times Tribune that the Warrens had found three spirits present. And strangers, it gets much more specific from there. The Warrens claimed that there was the following set of cases. Quote, Patrick, a dead man, who is afraid to face God for fear he will be punished for some unexplained act he had committed. Abigail, a dead, which feels redundant. Old woman who was somewhat confused and an unnamed devil with a putrid odor. There was on the bright side, quote, a good spirit that added a layer of protection for the Smurls and, quote, makes a room smell of roses. So the family had a full accounting of their troubles, but no further solutions except the Warren's advice to seek an exorcism. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to be attacked by an alligator? Or what goes through one's mind as they're stranded in a snowstorm? What Was That Like is the podcast for you. Real people come on every episode to explain the unbelievable situations they've been through. Guests share how they really felt during their most surreal experiences. They tell us what they did the morning before an earthquake, how it feels to win The Price is Right, and all sorts of details that you'd never learn anywhere else. If you're interested in hearing disturbing and inspiring firsthand stories, What Was That Like is the podcast you've been looking for. Every story is thoroughly researched and fact-checked, so you know that even the most unrealistic are someone's reality. Listen to What Was That Like wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode, kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. According to the Times Tribune, the house had twice been blessed by a Catholic Monsignor prior to their August 1986 press conference, but an appeal for an exorcism was another matter entirely. In mid-September, the Catholic Advance reported that church officials were still considering the request. As the newspaper pointed out, by the 1980s, it was a rare ritual, only undertaken when all other options had been exhausted. The Warrens certainly thought that it was necessary, and they were campaigning for a massive, multi-person ceremony to tackle the presence. And what about that? The church was still sorting out the best approach. But the church had appointed an investigator. They'd brought in Father Alfonso Tribold, 
professor of theology at St. Bonaventure University and, quote, an expert on demonology who specialized in the study of the occult and the paranormal to investigate. By September, the Catholic Advance reported that church officials were still exploring the matter and, quote, urging caution and restraint, and said they were, quote, seriously considering the request for help from the Smurl family of West Pittston. However, an official noted that all earthly causes did have to be ruled out first. So, according to the Times Tribune, the Warrens brought in their own rogue priest, literally, to perform two exorcisms. We say rogue because the Times Tribune described the Reverend Robert McKenna as a, quote, breakaway Roman Catholic priest from New England. To be frank, these were not successful attempts. Although the Swirls did say, we imagine, encouragingly, that things, quote, somewhat improved. That somewhat qualifier is, we assume, why they were still appealing to the church proper for help. The church was still moving with caution, though, citing the publicity that the story had attracted. According to the Times Tribune, the Smurls said that though they doubted the church was going to help at all, they had received support from others, despite the negative press, including gifts of, quote, relics of saints and visitations of prayer groups outside their residence. Jack and Janet Smurl told the Times Tribune that the biggest criticism they'd been met with was the accusation that they'd, quote, concocted the story to make money, but that they have not received a penny or been promised any money by anyone. Apparently, this was in contrast to what the Times called, quote, published reports to the contrary. We aren't sure what those were, but we do know a TV movie was eventually made based on the story. That film, The Haunting, did not premiere until 1991, five years after the events captured in the article. But first came a book, The Haunted, which was written by Robert Curran, a journalist who covered the case for the Times Tribune, with the Smurls listed as co-authors and the Warrens as contributors. So when that deal was precisely struck is up for debate. In any case, Jack and Janet's overriding point was that it was certainly a lot of trouble to go to for a haunting payout, they were derided by strangers, questioned by their church, and keep in mind, they were by all accounts truly religious people. And, they told the Times Tribune, they suffered real-world physical threats. People were hurling things through their windows and threatening them. They had to change their phone number. Then they said there was the matter of living with demonic forces for years on end. Janet told the Times Tribune, it's crazy for people to think we brought all this on ourselves for money. It's a fair point, strangers. Who would sign up for that? Who indeed? Well, actually, some in town thought that the family was being influenced, but by Jack himself. That his belief in possession was so strong that it had affected everyone. You see, an odd fact had arisen during the investigation. According to the Times Tribune, just a few years before the Smurls held their press conference, Jack underwent brain surgery to remove, quote, excess water from the cranial cavity. Some thought this neurological condition might have led to hallucinations. But Jack's doctor wasn't so sure. 
He told a Times Tribune reporter that he believed that, quote, they are experiencing something, and he had no explanations for the extraordinary events at the Smurl duplex. He reported that he'd operated on Jack due to a 50% impairment of recent memory, but did not indicate that any hallucinations accompanied Jack's neurological issue. Still, people wondered. It seemed as though there was no end in sight for the Smurls. Until, seemingly out of the blue, in late October of 1986, they made an announcement. According to the Citizen's Voice, the Smurls released a statement confirming that their house had been rid of demonic forces. No, the Warrens weren't still hanging around. And no, the church had not sanctioned that official exorcism, though a priest had stayed at the home for a number of nights to observe. It was, the Smurls said, the concentrated power of prayer from many people plus blessings bestowed by the church officials and, ultimately, divine intervention that had finally driven forces from their residence. They told reporters that, for a few weeks, all activity had ceased. Janet said, It's like a different home now. We're not afraid to go to sleep at night. Even the air in the house is much lighter now. It's hard to explain, but there's a difference. Some people rejoiced for the Smurls. Others found it convenient that, as scrutiny was at an all-time high, their problems, well, disappeared. Per the citizen's voice, a famous mentalist and entertainer known as the Amazing Kreskin was so struck by their tale that he decided to come to their town and debunk it himself. By, he said, recreating the precise events that occurred at the Smurls' home in another residence in West Pittston to prove there were no demonic forces at work. Now, if you've heard of Harry Houdini, you're probably used to the idea of spiritualism being shown as nothing more than some wires and cloth and gross faux ectoplasm, right? And that's probably what people were expecting from the Great Kreskin, and he did have a reasonable explanation for the whole demonic possession thing. Reasonable, except for one strange thing. You see, he believed the family was causing the uproar, but not intentionally. According to the Pottsville Republican, Kreskin's view was that the poltergeist-like activity, whether attributed to demons or not, was caused by teenagers. No, not them slamming their doors very loudly or shouting that their parents just don't get it, but rather through the sheer metaphysical force of their personalities. Kreskin told reporters that he'd correctly guessed that there were teenagers living in the Smurl home. He explained, Research showed that in more than 200 poltergeist experiences, teenagers were involved in all but two cases. While going through adolescence, certain teenagers can create a lot of energy, causing things to move. Poltergeist experiences are like a child's temper tantrum. If you ignore them, they'll cease. Little side note, strangers. We have actually heard this theory on poltergeist before. Whether it's true or not, we can't say. We have not had the pleasure of parenting teenagers 
But if yours have caused anything to float around your house, please send us an email. So, strangers, what was it that went down on Chase Street in 1986? Was it demonic possession of a hundred-year-old duplex, perhaps built on haunted land? A money grab by an otherwise upstanding family? The concentrated energy of teenagers crowded into a small home. We, of course, can't know for sure. We will offer this much, though. Whatever the Warrens were up to, the Smurls had lived a quiet life before and after the press events of 1986. Should the Smurls' participation in a book about their lives affect our decision as to whether they were telling the truth? Should we believe, as some neighbors claimed, that it was just a money grab? If you yourself had an incredible, terrifying experience, caused by demons or teenage hormones, who can say, and someone wanted to make a movie about it or write a book, would you agree? After all, there might be money involved. Would you see it as a silver lining, a kind of consolation prize? Because the trouble with public record is, of course, that a book or movie might be made without you. So would you grab that chance, if you could, to have your say? If your family's lives had already been thrust onto the public stage, what would a little more showmanship hurt? Stories can get away from you, and quickly. So maybe you just reach out and grab the horse, or demon, or poltergeist, by the reins, while you still can. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, blogs, fun giveaways, and occasional live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.